0: welcome to unedited the podcast this is episode 10 and i am your host kelsey lauren and today i'm sitting with such a beautiful guest rachel alaya i met her maybe a year ago and she has just been such a brilliant example of motherhood of womanhood of embodiment of vision so i'm really excited to get to share her with you so without further ado welcome rachel
1: Thank you so much Kelsey for having me here What a beautiful introduction. Um, I'm very honored that you invited me into this space and yeah I'm excited to see what wants to come through between our conversation today. I just started my restarted a podcast myself and I know that um my favorite creative space is always kind of the, unedited magic that reveals itself so
0: yeah i'm excited yeah it's just Mm -hmm. so much more human i think and that just feels so important these days um i want to just open the floor to you to introduce yourself who you be what you do in the world and just anything else you feel important to share with our guests
1: sure well As if that's an easy question to answer, but yeah, I, uh, my name is Rachel Alaya and you said it, you said my name right, which is rare, but thank you. you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I am a mama of two little boys. I live in the coastal Sierra Madre in Mexico, so just south of Puerto Vallarta, We live on a farmstead here. And what I do, I have worked in the online sphere for the last, ooh, I would say like seven or eight years or so, Um, doing a variety of things, I suppose. I've facilitated group programs, um, one on one mentorship, and coaching. Uh, what else? Uh, podcasting, writing, um, and then offline. I am in the process of creating a big, huge, enormous, lifelong legacy project with my husband, and yeah, it's um, it's one of those projects that isn't like even one year to the next. It's not even like a five-year plan. It's like a whole lifelong plan. But we actually just started one of the primary, well, we've planted a seed kind of of a primary project that we want to do within the larger scope of our ideas. And one might say we're we're here creating a living laboratory of sorts for folks to come and learn about what it means to create heaven on earth and live into a kind of new earth paradigm. And Mm -hmm. it really is focused on building an authentic and integral relationship with the land creating community that supports families and mothers and children, um, creating alternative educational opportunities for young people and for really all ages to express their creativity, to connect with their culture, to um, establish a... An alternative route for young people that isn't rooted in some of the sociopathological um, avenues that are available to them here in the community, which can be associated with gang violence and um uh, tourism and just kind of the the standard route um, that young people have access to here, um, really reminding them that they live in such a beautiful paradise that needs to be stewarded and protected and that their ancestral ways are valuable and Living in relationship with the land is um, imperative in both the, you know, flourishing of our communities as well as our individual well-being. Um, And we're hoping to create a small eco-village here for families to come and both stay and live either part-time or full-time, creating a regenerative farmstead for organic fruits and vegetables as well as medicinals, creating an herbal apothecary workshop and a line of apothecary products creating a family birthing suite for folks and families to come um, and women to come and birth here. So there's a lot of moving parts to our vision. Um, But we just launched our first offering, our first educational offering, because part of our big, big idea is to create a community education center. And so we just had our first offering Gosh, it would have been almost a week ago now, um, this last Sunday, and we brought together families and we were focusing on uh, one of the four elements. So this first time around, we did the earth element and we got our hands dirty. We had kids there between, gosh, one and 13 And, um, yeah, there was about eight families there, and everyone got really dirty, and we created things, and there was a potluck, so we uh, connected with old friends who came and had brand new folks come, and um, there's a space on our land that we want to renovate and create into this Uh, educational space but it's not quite up to par yet so that we can host there so we just welcomed people into our home and it was just really lovely and um, yeah so that's that's a little bit about me I guess Um, a long-winded explanation but thank you for for receiving me.
0: Oh my goodness I can't even begin to tell you I have I just feel so activated by that and Hmm. share so many of the same values and visions. And it just, it sounds like what you're building and co-creating with your partner and your family and your community is just such a, a vibrant and dynamic and prolific legacy that is just, it's just so beautiful to witness somebody in the process of that. And to have the courage to hold a vision that big because that goes so far beyond you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oof, I have, like, goosebumps right now, actually, that you're saying that. Um, It's been a couple years now that I've been sort of holding – I don't want to say, like, necessarily secretly this project, but kind of, you know? It's kind of like – When you're – well, I I don't want to speak for anyone else. When I am newly pregnant, for instance, um, I had uh, my second son a little over a year ago and I didn't share that I was pregnant publicly um, on any sort of platform or on social media for the first, I don't know, six or seven months. Um, And that felt really important for me to just like hold close and – Um, yeah, be kind of protective of, you know, and create a healthy boundary around so that it could incubate, you know. And so in the same idea, um, I've just been really holding this and working on expanding my own capacity to be with such a big dream actually becoming reality. Because I tell you, God works in very mysterious ways. And so in in one aspect, I've always known that this is something that I was born to do. Like I have just known. I've known that this is what I was going to do f- for a long time. And yet when you have that knowing, you don't always – you don't always know how you're going to get from point A to point B to point C, right? And so as it unfolds, you're kind of like, okay, I have this big, huge, huge vision that can seem rather overwhelming when you look at the whole, you know, thing at bird's eye view. So I'm just going to focus on taking the next step close in to quote David White the brilliant poet i have to focus on what's right in front of me and that's the work that i have right now right and one thing leads to the next leads to the next leads to the next and next thing you know you're on the path right like you're you're already on your journey and you're going and you have a momentum right Um, But there's a lot of different, you know, uh, circumstances that had to happen in order to get where we are right here today that I couldn't have anticipated. You know, I could never have imagined how we were going to get to this point. And I think back to the very first month that I met my now husband the circumstances even prior to that of us coming together were very serendipitous. We're very divinely guided. And I can remember that first month I invited him over to my apartment and I cooked him dinner and I sat down with him and I remember asking him a kind of loaded question, which was like, what are your big dreams and visions for your life? Like, how do you see your life unfolding in the future? What's your plans? That's the important stuff. And he sort of, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, let's get down to it. (laughs) I don't want to, you know, screw around. Um, And, you know, for me, it was really important to see, is this a person that I could see a future with? Is this somebody who shares my same values? Is this somebody who's going to be in alignment with? The, you know, the future that I want to have for my life. And um, I remember him sort of cocking his head and taking a moment. But rather quickly, he responded and said, I don't know. I always just kind of saw myself living on the land and starting a school for kids and at the time he was a scuba instructor, I had never heard him ever say anything like that before. And my background is, um, I have a master's degree in environmental conservation education. And my focus was on working with kids outside. And so I, I was like, okay, me too. <laughs>
0: the stars aligned. <laughs>
1: yeah. Great. Okay. So I can, I can, you know, see a future with you. And at the time, you know, we were both living in the city. Um, he was a scuba instructor and I was a yoga teacher and doing coaching. And, um, it just, I, I didn't ever, you know, like I said, I don't, I didn't know how I was going to get from point A to point B. Um, But that was a seed that he had planted even before meeting myself, you know? So I, in many ways, I feel like there is this sort of destiny element that I am dancing with on the constant, you know? And when you're living a life that is divinely guided in co-creative capacity with God, I mean... The other day I was kind of thinking to myself, like, how do people not believe in a higher power? Like, my life is so clearly divinely guided in so many ways that there's, like, no possibility of this being a coincidence. You know, there's no possibility of this being random. So I continually feel humbled in the process of surrendering to a higher power knowing that i'm just going to again do the next step close in and trust that i'm following this thread that is leading me to my you know organic path in many ways and yeah it's been it's been a beautiful journey and continues to unfold in mysteriously beautiful ways
0: Mm, I love that. There's a couple things that you touched on very briefly uh, when you were recounting kind of the journey of, I guess, receiving the vision and building a relationship with it. And I think this is something that everyone that has vision, regardless of how big it is, has to really, um, I guess, learn how to be in relationship with is. The resistance or the overwhelm or the the weight of responsibility when you choose to say yes to that divine invitation um i'm really curious as to what your relationship with that resistance or when you have those moments of like is this too big for my britches like how do you ground that down and stay capable and available to the vision
1: that's a really good question. So like I said, I've been holding it close for a while and not really sharing a lot because I have had to come up against a lot of my own fears and a lot of my own limiting, I, you know, I don't really like the term limiting beliefs, but kind of, you know, like my own self-imposed limitations in many ways. Thinking, well, who am I to do this? Who, you know, um, can I can I really do this? Do I have the maturity to be responsible for seeing this through? Um, you know, in so many ways, I've had to like contend with the questions of what if I fail? What will people think? what if I succeed? What kind of work will that require of me? What what is the effort that I'll have to put forth? What will I have to sacrifice? What will I have to say no to to say yes to this? Who's going to be there to support? Will I have to do it all? You know, all of those questions coming up and, um, you know, sort of like sitting with them and chewing on them and also just allowing them To be, you know, and not even necessarily coming to an answer for any of them, but allowing them to just like come through and be like, okay, that's interesting. Thank you for that (laughs) information, Um, you know, and, and, and coming to a space of deep trust around knowing that it's not even about me, (laughs) you know, because I feel like often we – it's almost like this this initiation in passing through this portal of like spiritual, physical, psychological maturity in many ways because you're realizing that this vision that I'm holding – isn't about me as an individual. I mean, yeah, of course it is, but it's not just about me. It's like if I don't do the work individually to be able to effectively create this or even just not even create it, but be open to you know, catching the vision and the creative impulse of God to move through me, then who am I actually sort of stealing from in many ways? You know, like, so the impact that I know that this work can have in the world and the fact that it doesn't actually reflect you know, who, like, how, how, my worth or, um, you know, people's opinions of me. You know, like, all of that is is so, so secondary and so, like, non-important in the path of really grounding into and anchoring and rooting into my purpose on this planet in this life. And so it's, it's a daily task, you know, and it doesn't, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not here sitting here saying like I have it all figured out. N- no, <laughs> but I've been able to, in the process, recognize, you know, may, maybe motherhood has helped a lot too. And recognizing that like, you are a steward of life, you are a creator and a life giver, you know, and yet this thing that you create is not yours necessarily, you know, they are their own being. And so in many ways too, like your creative works in the world take on a life of their own and you have to kind of like have almost a detached, uh, Je ne sais quoi, like a a sense of like, okay, you know, I I birthed you, you're out in the world and I can do everything in my capacity to um, bring you up and out in a way that is in alignment with the values that God has instilled in me. But ultimately, you have a life of your own that you're going to create as well. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, what what comes to me now, too, is the name of our project and our land here is Rancho Ometeot, which is a Nahuatl word or Mexica, which are the indigenous people of Mexico, of this area and of central Mexico and Ometeot is this idea of it's almost hard to find the words to describe. You might call it the supreme creator, but I usually think of it in terms of one plus one equals three, Mm. right? Like when you have two um, parents, for instance, and they – come together and create a living child, right? The one plus one yeah. equals three or even this idea that you're you were speaking of earlier in the sense that you know it's it's like when you come together in relationship, it's not just like two individuals in relationship, it's the two individuals plus the relationship they create, right? Yes. And yeah. so, yeah, it's this concept, this theme, this idea of our creative capacity with the divine and also with folks in our community and also with the land. And it's um, messy and beautiful and... um creative spark that takes on a life of its own
0: Mm, i love that yeah when you as you were saying that i just immediately was brought the word like fruitful and just like the illogical abundance that gets to happen when you're like in devotion in relationship not just in relationship but fully like present mind, body, spirit invested in it.
1: Yeah, it's I a sacred that. union.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Absolutely. So brilliant. I just like continually, even just witnessing what you do share online, um, there's just so much life in this project and it just feels so vital and so life-giving. And I would love to hear how it has given life to you to be stewarding something like this. Mm.
1: It is almost something I can't even put into words. Um, Having a relationship with a place is like being in sacred union with your beloved. And in Western thought, it's difficult to have a perceptual understanding of what I mean by that because I grew up, I was actually born here in Mexico, in Puerto Vallarta, but I grew up in the United States and the culture of the United States and of other western countries one might call it a colonial mentality one might call it wetico in the to use the algonquin term of like this sort of mind virus that consumes with no regard for life force and reciprocity. But when you come into relationship with the land where you are, you you build a sacred and beloved devotional union with that place. And... It's almost like being in relationship with my partner, you know, in that you are constantly getting to know the other and are constantly humbled by the other and are constantly challenged by the other and constantly um, enlivened and vitalized by your dance of relationship. And so every day that I spend here on this land, I'm listening, I'm watching, I'm opening to not just imposing what I think I want to do here, but more listening, tapping into receiving the wisdom that the land really wants of us being here. And like I said, it's difficult to even put into words because it is nonverbal. It's non-cognitive. It's subcortical it's very embodied you know and Mm -hmm. it's like something as simple as being able to walk the land here barefoot because I know where all of the cracks and crevices and terrain shifts and where the different plants are and the Tree, you know, the shadow through the trees hits at a certain time of day, at a certain time of year, you know, the direction of that the wind comes, knowing um what birds come at what time of day, at what time of year, knowing the, the track of the sun as it moves through the seasons and how to plan where things are <laughs> like it's it's something that you know you might theoretically see in certain maybe permaculture courses or more sort of holistic land based learning but ultimately it's a matter of being present in a place Mm -hmm. with enough sentient awareness to pay attention and to notice what you notice and to come back over and over and to not just leave when it's, you know, too hot or too cold or, you know, it's it's like building a deep presence with your beloved in many ways, and with yourself in other ways too. Um, you know, like y- yesterday, I woke up and I swear it was the coldest I had it had ever been here. I could swear, and I was, I was like, "What is this? I've never felt this kind of cold here before." And it was like a new little corner of experience for me on this land like having to put several layers and then like wanting to find gloves like where am i this is not normal like you know i was i was like having this whole process with my myself and the land and the you know wind and um yeah i don't know if it's making sense what i'm saying but basically i am continually humbled and revitalized by my relationship with this land. And there have been certain challenges lately in the project that we have envisioned. And I've noticed in myself, my own sort of even trauma responses, you might say, arising in processing like how to how to respond you know like I have um I've had thoughts of like okay do we just drop everything and like leave like my flight response is like do we just bail you know and then there's this voice that's like how could you 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 know you you can't do that <laughs> that's not an option really and um and yet you know you have these moments where you're triggered in many ways and you're you're brought face to face with your own dysfunctions dysfunctional patterns and asked to re weave the story that is playing out, you know, in the meninges or the, you know, the meaning and the web that you're tied to and woven into.
0: Oh, I love that. You already just naturally answered the question I was going to ask. Well, pseudo, around like how the land – mirrors back to you what you need to look at within you and be with within yourself even when it's inconvenient even when it's prickly and crunchy and and it just brings you back to that like reverential state of being and that initial agreement that you made to be in that relationship. So if you have anything else to add to that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think it's this, um, this word that you use about agreement. Um, I feel like that has been coming up lately in the recognition of the agreements that we actively form with people with places with experiences ideas identities you know all of all of that and if we're doing it in a conscious way or if we're just doing it unconsciously because ultimately you know there are agreements that we create with every relationship that we have, and most of them are unspoken, most of them are unconscious? And what would it mean to enter into relationship in a more conscious way, in a way that we actively choose the Mm -hmm. agreements that we come into?
0: And co-write um, them. Yeah, them right? yeah, yeah,
1: right. Exactly. And you know, I'm, what's coming up for me right now too is before I came back to Mexico, I was living in the Peruvian Amazon and I was working at a plant medicine shamanics healing center. And I was there for about nine months. Um, and I remember a ceremony that I experienced where I was shown the power and potency of our free will as human beings. And the fact that we can actively choose to love makes it that much more powerful because we can choose not to. Yeah. And it was a very disarming and humbling experience in the recognition of that truth because it came through actually as – um. I was in ceremony and I like transformed into an ant. And I had this whole like thing with ants in my time in the Amazon to where, oh gosh, there was like reoccurring experiences that I had where like I would come home from ceremony and my entire cabin was literally crawling, like the walls and the floor and my bed and the – yeah, it was like very intense Um, with ants, right? And I had like several intense experiences like that where I was like, what is even – happening like what is life is this real I don't know but it was real um and then like walking through the jungle and literally the 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 ground like moving and me sort of like honing in and realizing I was like literally in a sea of ants like just and they were not you know the ant the type of ants that are like oh they're just whatever crawl walk over them no these are like literal flesh Consuming, you know, yeah. (laughs) Anyways, the medicine of the ants came to me in a ceremony, and I realized like these these creatures are incredible uh, workers who create these communities that are profoundly efficient. And, you know, they have their ways of doing things. And yet I was cognizant of the fact that, you know, the ant that I had transformed you in into in this ceremony, like didn't necessarily have an active process of choosing to be devoted to their community. It was just an innate, instinctual response to being alive as an ant, right? And as I was transformed back into my human self, I realized, wow, I have this choice now that I get as a human being to actually choose to be in devotion to my path and my purpose. And I can actually not choose that. And so Mm -hmm. it's my, uh, greatest honor and responsibility to step into that calling in many ways and take that on. Um, and there's like this, this magnetism and this like field that you create, this quantum field when you step into that role and you actually allow yourself to be penetrated by God force and you choose love. And it was really profound for me at the time. And I, I just, you know, that just came into my head when you were asking me. I don't even remember what the original question was, but you know, asking me, right, about the relationship with the land and seeing yourself in, you know, the ecology and being part of the ecosystem that you're in, right? And as humans, there's another story that's coming to me from a book that's one of my favorite books. It's called Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Are you familiar with it?
0: I haven't read it, but I know of it, and it keeps like showing up in my field, so I'm sure it's it's asking to be witnessed.
1: <laughs> yes, it's quite a beautiful uh, memoir. I think it's I think it's a memoir style, um, and there's there's a story that Robin Wall Kimmerer shares in this book, where she talks. She's um. An indigenous woman who studied plant botany and became you know had a whole PhD and um, works as a professor and yet she has this sort of like blend of indigenous perspective and you know being raised in American culture and academia and there's this story that she tells about a mentee of hers who was a PhD student who decided to do their PhD thesis or dissertation, I should say, on sweetgrass and the harvesting principles of sweetgrass specifically. And the hypothesis was what type of harvest was going to allow the sweet grass to flourish most wholeheartedly. And the Western perspective might say, if you don't harvest it at all, it will flourish the most. Mm -hmm. And yet in her very detailed, you know, years long experiment, she actually found that it was the indigenous harvesting principles that allowed for the sweet grass to flourish most. And what that was, was taking some of the plant and leaving most of it and never taking more than half. And yet what, when she presented this her findings, this uh, mentee of hers, this student of hers, to her um, dissertation panel, they were kind of taken aback and a little bit confused at her analysis, which was in contradiction to their sort of Western scientific model of, oh, if you leave nature completely alone, it will flourish way more than if a human would intervene. When actually, like, the earth and humans are in divine reciprocity. We're not just supposed to sit back and not have any relationship or interaction with the natural world. And this runs in direct contradiction to a lot of the sort of dominant cultural narrative that you see in environmentalist communities that say or at least imply that humans are a kind of cancer on this planet, right? And so the way that she presents this story is really beautiful insofar as she makes the case that. The sweet grass and the stewards of the sweet grass evolved together to flourish. Mm-hmm. And when you didn't give attention to this plant, when you ignored it, it actually suffered. When you were in reciprocity in an honorable harvest type of relationship, it flourished. If you took too much, it suffered, you know? So there's this middle path, this, this, um, this dance really that you are engaged with, with the land where you, you know, like when you've, stepped too far. You know, you, you recognize and you, you are in reciprocity and you are in relationship with the plants and the animals and the water and the air and the elements in such a way that you actually have this, I mean, for lack of a better term, I'll repeat myself, reciprocity that allows for both parties to flourish, right? Yeah. And so that is I think another element that I often, you know, my very academic environmentalist background, like my understandings from my higher educational, you know, master's degree from an Ivy League NYU, blah, blah, blah. Like my ideas have completely changed about what it means to actually be in relationship with the land and with the earth. And that's been because of a direct experience that I've had with the land. And it's, it's so much more complex than a simplistic sort of understanding that is pushed at, on a kind of like mainstream level, right? Like, oh, carbon causes – carbon dioxide causes climate change and that's the most important thing, right? Or everyone needs to be vegan or, you know, like all of these like very uh, like
0: extreme. –
1: <laughs> Extreme. Like extreme, yeah, but also like very – Ugh, like, I almost see it as this, like, dense, thick, miasmic, freaking, like, bleh, you know. I don't know. I don't have a word for it, right? But <laughs> it's sort of like, oh, uh, like, go, go away. Like, I don't – that doesn't have to do with what we're doing here. Like, it's we can't – No, we can't simplify it down to, like, a fucking equation, you know. Like, you can't – you can't make it so so cut and dry it's not like that yeah. you know like we're in relationship here you know mm-hmm. it's not black and white it's very much about developing that relationship and recognizing that it is a relationship and like if you were in a relationship with another person, for instance, and something came up or there was a conflict or there was, you know, a question or a tension or something like that, it's not just like, oh, well, you know, it has to be this or that. Like, no, you have to, you sit down, you talk things out, you hear, you hear from the other person, they hear from you, you come, you know, you compromise, you negotiate, you, you, enter into this conversational dynamic where it's not black and white. It's not my way or the highway. It's not, you know, this or that. It's very much about being in dynamic union with the other.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, too, like a really big part of that is – like being willing to experience reality and all of the subjective versions of that and be willing to move with that and co-create and collaborate and communicate with that in mind. And uh, it's just like such a profound hope in my heart that the more people start to embody that, the more naturalized it'll become.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I will be very frank in that I feel like I take for granted sometimes that I am I have a very ce- specific lifestyle yeah. and a way that I choose to intentionally live. And it is very different, apparently, (laughs) than (laughs) what a lot of people choose for themselves and their families. Yeah. And I often think, like, isn't this what everyone wants? You know? (laughs) know? And then I'm reminded, like, no, it's it's not what everyone wants. And that's, you know, I don't know. Thank God for that, maybe. But I... (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, I also have these thoughts of like, wow, um, why would anyone choose otherwise? You know, like I can't really wrap my head around it often. Like I have, you know, like even close family members and people in my life who kind of like, you know, they shake their heads or they scratch their heads or they're like, what? I could never do that, you know, like and they they look at the lifestyle that my husband and I like actively choose for ourselves and our kids. And they're like, how do you even you mean you don't have a TV? Like, what? Like, what do you do? You know, or like the even the other day, I was having a conversation with my mom and she said something like, yeah, we're thinking about getting a television for – you know, they have a little a little cabin here on our land and um, we're thinking about getting a television. And I look at her and I was like, you know, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> if that's the case, then I hate to say it, but I will probably have to set more boundaries with how much time my children choose to spend – Or how much time I allow them to spend at your house. Because I know that inevitably what will happen is they will end up in front of that TV more often than I am comfortable with them spending time in front of a screen. And my husband and I are, you know, pretty – we have kind of hard boundaries around certain things. And Mm -hmm. the amount of time that I – Allow my kids to spend in front of a screen is one of those boundaries. And, you know, occasionally, of course, I will put something on, or, you know, Alberto will have on his phone, like something that he'll show our kids, or, you know, we'll put on Animal Planet, or I don't know. There's a handful of things, you know, but it's very, very rare. And, my mom, when I was saying this to her, she was sort of like, Well, you know, um, oh, and I said to her, You know, like, I make concessions with my kids hanging out with you guys because I know that you're different and you have different values and different ways that you live your life, and I don't want my children to not have a relationship with his their grandparents simply because of these hard boundaries that I have around certain things like screen time but if you have a tv here that might be a little bit difficult and she sort of looked at me and was like well, isn't it just like, you know, having your iPad here and like putting in, in front of the iPad? And I said, well, it would, you know, one might think that it would be similar, but I don't even put an iPad in front of my kid. And she sort of looked at me like, wait, what? You don't? And I said, no, <laughs> I don't. Like, and she didn't even really get like she couldn't, at first she just looked at me blankly, like, huh? Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, you know, like I just, I just don't, like we just don't do that. And they do other things, you know, like granted, we live in literally, we live in a tiny home and we spend 90% of our waking hours, if not more, outdoors. And we have the access and the ability to do that. And that is a very active choice that we have made in our life to create a life where that's what we do and that's what we have access to. And I see a huge difference between my child who spends very little time in front of a screen, who has to then be resourceful and figure things out on his own and be outside you know getting his hands in the dirt and playing with the elements and figuring things out and you know he's 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 off on his own he's doing his thing he's you know on his bike or he's you know like making something or you know he's being creative he's being a kid <laughs> and that is reality right <laughs> i mean <laughs> And I'm not here to admonish or condemn anyone who chooses otherwise because we all have our own lives. But this is a very active and conscious choice that I am making with my family and my kids that a lot of people don't even think about. And I constantly have to check myself And make sure that I am modeling certain behaviors and certain habits and, you know, ways of being throughout my day that are offering my children an alternative to the dominant cultural narrative. And I realize that I am actively mothering in a way that runs in contra to most of the world <laughs> in many ways. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say most of the world because actually most of the world is doing what we're doing. <laughs> but I would say like the, like I said, the, the over-culture as yeah. one of my teachers, Dr. Estes calls it. It's the over-culture. It's like the, uh, the, <laughs> the culture that is like pushing itself down upon us. Right. And I've just sort of like stepped out from underneath that, pressure cooker and am just like opting out and choosing not to participate
0: yeah it's really interesting like my partner and I have had so many conversations um, particularly when (laughs) we interact with family or friends and stuff who very much I mean don't get me wrong we enjoy like the little westernized luxuries and conveniences that we have but We've had so many conversations just around the fact that like if given the choice, I I would rather live an inconvenient life and be fully in a human experience and connected and present with what's in front of me than having to pretend or be in plug into the metaverse or be on on like pretense of something. Um and that is like like you said, like it's diametrically opposed to some people, and a lot of people also I don't think realize that that's even an option that that's available because of how inconvenient it is. and um, I just want to like speak to how I think important it is that humans, people like you, like your partner, um, I know a handful of other people that are just like modeling. And going first um, as bridge points, I suppose, to the more westernized overculture, as you put it, to demonstrate that that's available, to open up that field of potentiality and be witnessed in that, and give people hope, give people a vision, give people something to consider. And yeah, I just, I just want to give you kudos because I know I share a lot of a similar vision to what you are doing and who you be. And it just like, it's so nourishing knowing that the, what some people would say is impossible is very much possible. And like you said earlier, it's a choice do you choose convenience? Do you choose inconvenience? Do you choose to be in love? Do you choose to be in fear? Right. It's always a choice point. And yeah, it's just like, what, what will you choose?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I appreciate you reflecting that back to me because when you're in your day to day and you're making that choice, it's a lot of work, you know, and you don't necessarily remember that you are offering your life at times as a bridge point to use your phrase um and it made me think of when i was pregnant with my first son I went out to lunch with a woman that used to come to the women's circles that I was leading at the time back in Puerto Vallarta, and she told me about her birth experience and that she had chosen to give birth in a way that one, you know, they they call it uh, like a free birth or an unassisted, unmedicalized setting. And she said, I gave birth basically by myself in my home. My husband was there, but he was annoying, so I just put him outside. <laughs> <laughs> and I birthed on my own. And I I looked at her and I thought, what? Like, that's an option? I didn't even know that that was an option. <laughs> I didn't even know that you could do that, you know? And – It was so incredibly powerful to me, that moment. I remember the exact moment. And she said, yeah, and then my best friend did it the same year. And I thought to myself, holy moly, I want to know more about this. I've never heard of something like that. Like, I was born at home with a midwife, which to some people is like, what? You know, that was pretty normal for me and my family. But to hear that that this woman, uh, this friend of mine who actually came to the family day the other day, um, she gave birth on her own without a midwife even like I, I didn't I didn't know that that was a thing. Right. And it's it's interesting because then like in the years following, I started meeting more and more and more women who made that choice. And then for my last pregnancy and birth, I chose to have no medical intervention whatsoever throughout the pregnancy or the birth. And I gave birth just with my partner on our land here. And I just think of, you know, what what you're saying and what you're sharing. And again, I take that for granted, you know, that like we make these choices day to day. And I try to share my life online and on social media and on Instagram. But I'm like so in it that I often like don't even have the capacity or the you know, bandwidth to like sit down and even like share in a way that I know like could probably be more you know helpful in bigger quotes to people and offering myself as a, a living example. You know, um, and I don't share photos like of my children's faces on social media and stuff like that. So it makes things a little bit difficult because I'm just in it with being a mom, like most of the time. And so most, if I go through my phone, for instance, and I look at my photos, like most of my photos are of my children, you know? And so I'm like, I'm like, okay, what do I, what do I share? You know, like I'll share some photos of my kids that are just like not, you know, nondescript. But yeah, it's interesting to like consider that I have had people reflect that back to me Over the years of like, you know, you're you're this example of a different way of living. And I think that in many ways, that's that's the space and the the project that we're creating here is like a place for people to be reminded and to come and to like live and experience that there are other ways of being in the world, you know, that I, you know, I sarcastically said, like, you don't have to plug into the metaverse to experience life, mm-hmm. you know, like you don't have to yeah. um, do what everyone else is doing around you. You don't you actually have so much more options available to you that like because we live in this over culture make it seem like you don't have options available to you, but you do. And when you are cognizant of all that is available to you, you know, that field of potentiality that you speak of comes into your, um, you know, comes into your sphere of influence and you become available to it, right? And – it's yeah, I can't I can't imagine any other way, but again like I th- I can think of many many people who you know, know the choices that I make and they sort of are like, "Well, I would never trade my conveniences for that." Like, I don't know how you can live like this. <sighs> you know? And it's like, well, I honestly, I don't know how you can live like that, but like, hey, to each their own, right? Like, and if that's the life that you want, then like, that's your life. And this is, this is my life. And like, I'm not going to worry, I don't worry anymore about, you know, what, what other people are doing in many ways, because I know that like, the people who are going to be in my life and my community and in my sphere and in, you know, in proximity to me are like meant to be there and, uh, and will be magnetized to this place and to this land and to our interactions. And like, yeah, that's not to say that I have c- control over it at all because I don't at all. But that's to say that when I was, you know, in my 20s, you might say, I had this sort of warped understanding of reality that I thought I needed to like save the world, right? And I needed to like tell, like shout from the rooftops and teach everyone about this thing and educate people and uh, 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 you know, and it was like so much focus on everyone else that like you got to get your own house in order. You got to get your own values in alignment with your actions before you can even like even start to (laughs) say anything about anyone else. Right. And so I have plenty of work to do under my own roof, you know, like even this morning I was you know i'm we're we're creating more like trying to create a little bit more of a like a routine with my son and his homeschooling and he oh just had like a really hard time today and it's so triggering for me like as a mom my nervous system is just like <sighs> like, nails on a chalkboard, (laughs) like, when he just has his tantrums or, like, screaming in my face or, like, you know, whining about everything. And I'm just, like, okay, my work right now is, like, deep breath, deep breath. (laughs) Let me take space and respond in a way that is in alignment with the truth that I know and the love that I seek to bring into this world. And it's not about being perfect, but about striving for excellence. And it's easier said, and it's easier some days than others. But like, it's work, and I don't have to worry about other people. Like, it's so much, it's so liberating. (laughs)
0: Oh, my goodness. I think there's just such a it's an art form to be in coherence and in integrity and and enrolled in your own life and your own vision and your own responsibilities and destiny. I think there's just so much there for us in our human experience that a lot of the times I think when when you're doing it well I don't want to use right or wrong, but when you're doing it well, and you really are present to that, that's just your life. And it feels really mundane to you because you're in the ins and outs and ins and outs. And I think being witnessed is so powerful because what's mundane to you becomes really miraculous to someone else. And then you get to put on this costume of being a way shower of what's possible and, I just think the, the human experience is so fascinating. Like there is such a limitlessness to what we're capable of and what gets to be available to us. That like by no means am I advocating for lawlessness, but like we can do so many things that it just it's it's never offered to us by the societal machine, and it requires us to really be present with creator and creation and available to that and it's just so beautiful to watch somebody in that and be activated by it and receive that I don't know just transference of potentiality from another human being Um, it's just such a such a miracle
1: (laughs) well admittedly I'm a bit of an anarchist so I'm okay with the lawless lawlessness (laughs) comment
0: publicly said if I was like politically aligned with anything I probably would be an anarchist as well (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's actually it's really funny when I was um like in high school my friend groups and I were all about the punk rock scene and anarchy and like fuck the system and all of this and it's just really fascinating watching everyone growing up and having their human experiences and learning things and touching and seeing and feeling all sorts of things. And despite everything that I've moved through, I am still very much congruent with that initial, like, yeah. like And I I think there's a really beautiful thing to be said about that, I guess, individuation that comes with an anarchistic type of way of being, I suppose. And for me, individualism goes hand in hand with responsibility. Like I am not self-actualized or fulfilled as an individual personally, unless who I'm being is contributing to leaving the world a better place than I found it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think in circles that I have run in, there's been quite a almost like bashing of individualism. But lately, like I've been reminded of the fact that a healthy collective cannot exist unless the individuals within it are self-actualized and healthy individuals. And so... It's not an either or. It's like a you know, you need both type of experience and dynamic. Um, interestingly, like some colleagues and um, c- creators in our, our uh, realm um, <laughs> cre- created a podcast called The Quantum Shit Show. And I was listening to it today of Jody, Bo and Danica. And they were talking about that. And it was interesting because Danica actually name dropped me in the episode. And I was like, oh, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And because I had been speaking of this lately and so had she. And we were, you know, she made a post about it and I had commented on it because it was something that was like coming up a lot for me lately around this idea of collectivism and individuality and the fact that you, you really can't. Um separate them, and you mm. shouldn't, right? And I, I often look to the land again, as a model for these types of understandings and wisdom. And when you recognize that like a collective with no type of diversity of individuals in it, would be like a monocrop landscape that has so many issues. When you actually look at what's going on there, um, you have a high incidence of, uh, you know, pests, which means that you have to use a lot more pesticides. The soil becomes degraded because you're planting the same thing in the soil over and over and over again. and and you're depleting the landscape. um, You know, you don't have like a resilient landscape. You have a landscape very much at risk because if something comes in, you know, you don't have these sort of like niches and levels of plants and animals that sort of coexist harmoniously or if you have a pest come in you you know if you're like designing a landscape right like you would often have these certain plants that you know they would attract that you don't really they're not like an integral piece piece to what you're actually I mean they are integral but it's not like you know your main crop or whatever and then in a in an ecosystem you you know you have many different individuals that hold their own unique niche and are fulfilling their purpose within that space. And there's a sense of reciprocity and this like beautiful sort of food web that happens to where, you know, everything's sort of kept in a checks and balances state and, Mm. Yeah, I had I had shared that, you know, with with her on a comment in less words, I might say. <laughs> but um it was it was a topic that came up in their latest podcast episode too, was around like what does it mean to exist in community in a healthy way. And I don't think most of us have a model for that, you know, at yeah. least Growing up in Western culture, you really don't, you know, you, you, you have a very like throw away people type of experience or just lock them away or, you know, they just disappear or move to somewhere else or, you know, like there's, there's not a lot of experiences with what it means to be in community and, It's been really interesting to like also come back to the place that I was born Um, nearby is a place called Yalapa, which is where my parents have had uh, a home for almost 50 years. They're not from that place, but it is an indigenous community, a small fishing village that has become quite like a tourist place for people to come and visit but there's no, there's no cars there and there's really no roads in or out. So you have to come by boat. And so people like get this concept of it being kind of like an island, but it's not, it's on the coast, but it's remote. And it's been, you know, like we didn't get electricity there till like 2005, I think, you know? And so there's been a really, you know, interesting process for me to come back to that place, the place that I was essentially born and grew up in. And it's has this very distinct community dynamic that, uh, you know, has has definitely been influenced by outside forces and you know, tourists and uh, ex- expatriates, and you know other Mexicans who have come to live there. But to be reminded that, like, you don't necessarily get to choose who's in your community. Even you, you enter into these relationships and people come into your lives, and, like, you have the opportunity to, like, actively, again, engage in what are the agreements that we want to have here, but not everyone's going to be on the same page with you. Like, not everyone's going to be in that conscious, active role of, okay, I'm coming into this relationship or this community, and these are the agreements. Like, yeah, okay, sometimes, but not usually, right? And so when you're choosing to live a certain lifestyle or live consciously or actively engage in the co-creation of your life with a divine source, like you you can only control so much right? And you can only do so much. And so when you recognize that, you can really just hone in and focus on, like, okay, what what is actually in my control? What can I contribute in a way that's healthy? Where are the boundaries that need to be set here? What is completely out of my control? Um, how can I be a beacon and a model of the values that I hold dear and the truth that is core and central to my world and mm-hmm. God's plan and you know the rest is just kind of like okay you know everyone's got their journeys and if if there's nothing that I've learned in the last 2 years it's that everyone has their own journey. And if they want to come along on mine, like cool, that's nice. Or if they, you know, want to resonate with something that I'm sharing, great, awesome. But, you know, my life and my choices aren't necessarily for anyone else, but me and my family, you know, and that's okay, you know, and it doesn't have to be any more or any less than that.
0: I love what you said too earlier about like, you do not get to choose the community members or the humans that you are surrounded by. And that's just such a, an invitation and it's been really beautiful to watch the collective be invited into a state of relational maturity. And like, can you remain Emotionally, relationally, spiritually, mentally, physically mature amidst incongruency because things are not always going to be perfectly coherent for you. There you will bump up against resistance and crunchy energies and discordant energy fields of other people or circumstances that are really grating or a reckoning, right? Like it's just... How how capable are you, like you said, of, of building that resiliency within yourself, but then also contributing to the resiliency of your community and allowing there to be space for every being? You don't have to like them all, but if you can show up with love, <laughs> like hopefully that's the goal.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it feels like a really it's a very interesting moment that we're living through and I definitely, you know, don't want to present myself as having all the answers. I do not have all the answers. Um, I struggle with this quite a bit and mm-hmm. I don't really know what's going to happen, you know, and there are aspects of my you know, existence in community that I'm still, you know, very unsure of and I'm navigating in a way that I don't feel very is very graceful, you know. Um, And sometimes I feel like I have actively created this life that I've created in a way that I can almost like draw a line (laughs) around myself and my family and say like that's not for us over here like you can keep that over there Mm -hmm. and I don't know I think that in some ways maybe that's naive maybe you know the world uh, is gonna continue in a certain trajectory who knows I really don't but what I can say is that The choices that I will continue to make for myself will be in the best interest that I know of for myself, for my family, and for my community from a place of care Mm -hmm. and presence and in alignment with the values that I hold dear, which is truth, beauty, freedom, love. Yes and that's all that i can do and i grieve quite a bit at the state of the world okay. i butt up against i butt up against the world often when i you know have to go into the city and do my business i am reminded of it and i usually leave quite energetically drained and you know, kind of frustrated and angsty and confused and rattled and sad, mm-hmm. saddened by the state of the world. Yeah. Um but I'm just gonna continue on my merry way, doing what I can to, you know, create something beautiful and that's that's all I know that I can do, you know, is like make art out of what I'm given by my circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that my children someday will value that and that the world, even though it may not value or be aligned with the choices that I make or reflect back the values that I hold, um, you know, that it will give me the space to continue to create a little slice of heaven in some way.
0: Mm. I am holding that vision for you as well. And I can just... (laughs) If I can mirror this back to you, I feel like the more, um, devotedly and fiercely you continue to show up to what is God ordained in your life and just given to you, gifted to you to be a steward of and a co-creator in, um, you're, you're going to call in that community and those people and those miracles, that are yours. And I think if, if all of us can just kind of hold on to that (laughs) and just remember that that's available to us, um, I know that kind of anchors me when it feels like the world Mm. is just too turbulent um, to handle for my, for my soft heart. So I just wanted to offer that to you and just witness you and mirror back to you just how powerfully you are creating ripples through who you be and what you're doing. Um, And I can assure you it doesn't go unnoticed and unfelt.
1: (laughs) Mm. Thank you. That's, that's like a balm to the heart. I appreciate that.
0: (laughs) Well, it has been, such a pleasure to have this conversation I feel like there's a million other places we could go um I do want to honor our time but I want to offer you the floor if there's anything you have to add before feeling complete
1: hmm Yeah. Thank you again for inviting me into your space and engaging in this conversation. I feel like it's been, um, yeah, really beautiful to show up with you here today. And I guess I will say that I enjoy long extended breaks from social media at times. I will go, you know, maybe a month, a couple days, or even like six months away at times. Um, and that has been really valuable for my own process and journey and capacity to do the work, the good work. Um, but I guess I will say for those who are listening... Um, that I love to be in relationship and connection with people who resonate and who feel me, (laughs) if you feel me. And so (laughs) I would say please don't hesitate to connect with me, um, to reach out. Um, I have a new podcast as well. Uh, it's called Root to Rise with Rachel Olaya. And I'm probably going to go in the direction of supporting mamas a bit more in their process. So if you're a mama, then please also feel free to reach out. I I um, in the process of co-creating a, an offering for mamas with a friend of mine that will manifest as a kind of like membership community probably um, in the next couple months. So feel free to connect with me on social media on Instagram. It's where I'm at these days. and um, stay tuned for more information about that if it does resonate. Um, it will be like geared towards mothers, but you don't, you know, we're like not going to hold it to you if you don't have children um, and you still want to participate in this space. Um, I can remember a few years ago, I created an offering for mothers and actually a lot of people joined that were not mothers who were <laughs> in the process of, you know, processing their mother wound and considering the the path of motherhood, and um, all of those are really valuable questions to sit with. But um, my work primarily sort of hinges right now on, I would say, like sort of four main principles, which are somatic literacy um, and embodiment work. Uh, ecological attunement. So the conversation that we had today around being in relationship with the land is a big part of that. Yes. So. Emotional alchemy, um, and also spiritual vitalization and renewing our relationship with God. And yeah, that that pro- process and practice. And calling of motherhood as a spiritual journey and a calling um, is a huge part of it. And healing our traumas and reworking our dominant stories around motherhood and um, restoring a... And I would say, like, re- revaluing the work of mothering um, and keeping a home and a hearth um, in these times. And seeing that as really, you know, the almost, like, center of the ripple effect that we're having mm. on the world. Yes. Um, so yeah I'll just close by saying that thank you for being here with me and holding up mirror Kelsey thank you for this podcast and um, yeah it's been a, a pleasure
0: likewise it was such a blessing to meet you it continues to be a blessing to just develop a relationship with you and to share spaces with you whenever we find those little pockets you are just such a a wealth of wisdom and warmth and vitality and an incredible space holder for anyone that's considering working with you. I know we've had a couple of different session work environments and yeah, I would I would trust you in any journey you offer. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just thank you so much for coming on and being a guest today. Of course. Blessings and gratitude for tuning in to episode 10 of Unedited, the podcast. If you have loved this podcast as much as I have, I would love to encourage you to subscribe, to stay connected, and catch all of the delicious conversations. If this episode or any others have been nourishing and resonant and inspiring, I would also love to invite you to share, to leave a review, or even reach out to me and just express how it landed for you and how you are receiving and working with the conversations had in this container. So thank you again so much for being here, and I'll catch you on the next episode.